You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Last week, we established that those, when we are set apart, that we are set apart for a special purpose, uh, that we're not to be deluded, that, that we're not to be uh, uh, corrupted uh, by anything else, that we're set apart for a specific, a specific purpose as Christ followers. In fact, 2 Corinthians summarizes it this way. It says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All of this is from God. Only he can do this. He reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. And in reconciling us to himself, he set us apart. And what are we now, church? We are his ambassadors because now God is making his plea to the world, to the lost, through you and me. That's the significance of what it is to be set apart. Having been saved by Christ, given his spirit as our guide, empowered by the truth of his word, we've been given a command, we've been given a charge, and that is that we represent him, Jesus Christ himself, to the world. And so as a Christian, our speech our life, our love, our faith, and our purity, they should all set an example that this is the life that a Christ follower leads and a life that a Christ follower lives. And with that, this weekend, I want to talk about the significance that faithfulness plays in this distinction that we have of being set Apart. It's so important to understand the role that faithfulness plays in our life. In fact, it's paramount to not only our living, but to the salvation of many. Now, as we established, Timothy is a young and upcoming preacher. Paul is an apostle. And Paul has sent Timothy ahead. He has sent him back to a church, the church in Ephesus. It was a church that Paul founded back five years or so earlier. And so he sends Timothy to this group of believers, to this church, to deal with issues. Much of the New Testament is made up of letters to the early church, and those letters are not just to encourage the church, but to deal with issues that have arisen. And in this case, some of these issues have arisen among the church leaders. Timothy was under orders, if you will, to correct those issues and to get the church back on track. And so the first thing Paul does in addressing this letter in chapter 1, verse 1, is to state the authority with which he writes. Now, how many of you remember letter writing from back in school? I'm dating myself because we don't write letters. We very rarely send postcards anymore. We type it out in an instant message. But you remember the salutation of the letter. It's a very important part of the letter. It's the part of the letter that addresses who it is that you're speaking to. It sets the tone for the rest of the message that you want to communicate. Well, in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul gives this command, this instruction to Timothy and ultimately the church. But he begins with this salutation that's more than just a greeting. Look at it with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, 
to Timothy, my true son in the faith. That's not quite the salutation that I would write in my letter. In fact, when I wrote a letter to Sarah to propose to her, it simply said, dear Sarah, will you marry me? Right? I just got straight to the point. So why all of this wording? Well, it's there to reassure Timothy. And it's there to reassure you and me the authority that Paul has to be giving this order to begin with. This instruction to Timothy. And I want you to understand something. Don't be... Don't misunderstand when we say that the New Testament is made up of letters. These aren't just any letters. These letters are written in the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, God himself. These are his words written down by those who are most committed followers to him. And so here, Paul is under orders by God, and as one under orders by God, he's issuing Timothy an order that was in complete alignment with God's will and his word. So let's begin here. As believers set apart by God, and that's each one of you who've surrendered your life to him in Christian baptism and have received his Holy Spirit. As believers set apart by God, we are called by God for the specific role that he's allowed us, that he's allowed us in life. Each one of us has been called by God. Now, a person's calling, as we refer to this, can be looked at in two different ways. Just as God has a general will that is displayed for us throughout his holy word, we understand his general will for all of our lives as Christians. He also has a specific will for your life and mine individually. And in the same way, you and I have a general call that applies to us in these aspects of our lives, and we also have specific callings. For example, let's say you're a parent. Let's say that you're a parent, and as one who has surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, his general call on your life as a parent is to raise your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is your call. Your call as a Christian husband is to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Your call as a believer, as a member of Christ's church, is to set an example in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. More specifically, though, God has called you, depending on your gifts, those things that you receive from the Holy Spirit, those talents that you are developing, you have been called to some specific roles. Some have been called as teachers. Some have been called as medical workers. Some have been called as missionaries. Some have been called as preachers. You you get the idea, right? And so as believers, we are called by God to a specific role. Now on your outline, whether you think of this as your general call or as your specific call, I want you to make a note of those things that you have been called to as a believer. 
uh, like I say, you, you might want to list uh, the general call as a dad or, or as, a, as a mom. Maybe you've already recognized your specific call as a teacher, a missionary. Write that down. God has called me to fatherhood. He's called me to the medical field. He's called me to the local school as a teacher. Now, I want to take this just a little bit further. And, and, and this is really simple, but yet it can be confusing at the same time. So just follow with me. When you and I surrender our life to Christ, our general and specific call can be summarized this way. God has called me to faithfulness. God has called me to faithfulness under his command. Whatever your call is in life, by God, through Jesus Christ, the power of his Holy Spirit, whether you're a father, or a teacher, a fireman, a police officer, God has called you to faithfulness under his command. He's in charge. Your responsibility is to be faithful in all of these areas that he has called you to. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good things, which he created in advance for us to do. And many of us are familiar with that. I memorized that verse 20 years ago. But do you know the preceding nine verses in Ephesians chapter 2? Because they're what lead up to the significance of what we read here in verse 10. How did we become God's workmanship? How are we created in Christ Jesus? What good works? Well, if you look at the first half of chapter 2 in Ephesians, you can see that God has taken into account our past. He's taken into account how we became a dad, perhaps even before we were married. He, he takes into account those times in our life where we took charge and we listened to what mom or dad or, or Aunt Susie or whoever was paying for our college education, whatever they said that we should become in life. He takes all of that into account. He takes into account the good things and he takes into account the sinful things that we did in disobedience. He saved us by his grace. He made us alive in Christ Jesus. And he did all of this for a purpose. He has called us. He has summoned us. And he has good works. Listen, these good works were planned before you were born. Before you took control of your own life. Let alone surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. These good works were created knowing your past. And knowing your surrendered soul. And so now he has called you to these good works. And he's taken all of this and put it together to accomplish the amazing purpose that he has. That, my friends, is why faithfulness to our call as one who is set apart is so Important, And this is the groundwork that Paul is laying here in verse 1 of his letter to Timothy. In verse 2, Paul tells us that we are empowered for this call. We are empowered by God for the command given us. 
God empowers our faithfulness himself. Second Chronicles 16.9 is another one of my favorite Old Testament passages. It says that God's eyes, they range throughout the earth. They look. And who's he looking for? He's looking for those whose hearts, whose souls are fully committed to him. And why is he looking for them? To strengthen us. To give us what we need to persevere and to be faithful. God empowers our faithfulness. Paul writes in verse 2, Grace, mercy, and peace to you, Timothy, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul says grace, mercy, and peace, those are nice flowery words, right? You might want to include that if you ever send an email to someone. That's your salutation. Dear Dave, grace, mercy, and peace be to you. I'd be very sweet. But it's more than just some flowery words. It's more than just a kind gesture. What Paul is doing here is he's essentially praying a blessing of God's empowerment over Timothy in the church. And why is that significant? Because if you've ever served, which 95% of you serve in some way in this church, isn't that amazing? What a blessing to be part of a serving body. And so you know this. If you're familiar with Paul's letters to Timothy, I don't think we're reading too much into it to say that Timothy experienced discouragement sometimes. It's, it's not always fun being a leader, especially in a leader where, a leader in, in a place where people's lives are depending on the word that you're teaching and that you're preaching. There were times when Timothy experienced discouragement in his call, haven't you? <laughs> Haven't there been times when you know what your calling is, but yet you're discouraged and you want to walk away? You can see in Paul's second letter to Timothy, in verse chapter 1, verse 7, he says to Timothy, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. The pressure must have been intense at times for, for Timothy. That's why in the next verse, in verse 3, Paul encourages Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Stay, Timothy. Let God, the Father, let Christ the Son give you everything needed to complete the work. 2 Peter 1.3 says God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And three of the greatest gifts that God has given us in our call is what Paul prays over Timothy, the blessing that he gives him. The first is grace. Grace is unmerited. It's unearned, it's undeserved favor. Now, favor's not a word that we use that often. In fact, maybe one of the few times that you remember favor being used was when the angel appeared to Mary, right? Greetings to you who is highly favored by God. Favor. God constantly pours unmerited favor on his faithful to empower us to do the work. It's totally undeserved. But it's based on our relationship and our faithfulness to him. How many of you have been here for the last five years, let's just say? If 
five and out of those five years you've participated in fall festival that's coming up it's always the last saturday of the the month of october fall festival how many of you participated in vacation bible school we do it every every summer and and at the end of vacation bible school we used to go to country lake we've gone to the uh, aquatic center and rented that out for several years uh, how many of you were here during the uh, COVID epidemic, right? And, and we had the drive-in movie out back. Uh, all, all things that are planned well in advance. These aren't just spur-of-the-moment things. Can anybody tell me the number of times that we've canceled those events? Eileen says none. Uh, the Easter egg hunt one time. Anybody else got one? I wasn't expecting that, but you guys go ahead and yell it out. I mean, put me to task, right? In my 17 years here, I could count, at least to my recollection, on one hand, the number of events, not just those three big events, but events throughout the year that are dependent on weather. I count on one hand the number, and, and listen, we made a mistake on probably three of those five times by calling it too early. Why? Because of God's favor. It could be raining all around us. It could be raining where you live as it was many times. But you drive up to wherever this church is at, whether it's at the Aquatic Center, Jeff, whether it's up in Underwood, or whether it's right here on this campus, and what do we have? We have the ability to go forward with the program. Now, is that because we deserve his favor? No. But he's chosen for us to live in that favor as a church. And many of you know this in your life. Many of you. I can't tell you how many cars I've had in my life. Certainly not a Corvette until this weekend. <laughs> cars with 200,000 miles on them, we wear them out and then we trade them in and we get another one, wear it out. One time in all of these years has that car let us down. And it was three miles from here at the forestry. One blowout on the interstate. And that's because I gave someone the finger and my tire blew out. No. <laughs> God's favor. Just like the Israelites whose shoes didn't wear out. It's unmerited, but nonetheless, he gives it to us. The problem is we don't often have the faith to wait him out and to experience his favor. We call the game way too early. We give up. Mercy. Mercy's delivered from the deliverance from the consequences and guilt of sin. Oh, you're saying that I don't no longer have to deal with the consequences of my sin? No, I didn't say that he takes it away. But he delivers you. He gets you through. He empowers you. He gives you help in time of need. We all make mistakes. We all do. And the enemy works hard to accuse and condemn those faithfully serving God. Every failure is like a fiery arrow that Satan uses, hoping to get through some gap in the armor of God that we're supposed to be clothed in. 1 John 9 says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. This is mercy to complete our call to 
fulfill what he's commanded, God lavishes. I love that word. He lavishes. He pours on us mercy. He gives us help and refreshment in our time of need. And this is what Paul prays for Timothy, and he prays this for you and I. And then peace, peace is that rest in our soul when otherwise everything is anything but restful. It's rest when there's unrest all around us. You know, God will many times not change our circumstances. In fact, I don't know why we, why we plead with him so. But he'll give us his peace. He will. This peace not only gives us rest, but it also guides us. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. As we walk with him, he guides us by his peace or by the loss of his peace as we seek his direction. So, Paul gives Timothy this blessing. He says, this is why I'm writing you. This is the authority that I'm giving you to command these things of the church. And so what in the world is Paul building him up for? Well, that's found in verses 3 through 7. In verses 3 through 7, we see why Paul took time to affirm and reassure the importance of Timothy's faithfulness to the call he had received. What he was facing in Ephesus was a daunting task, not unlike many of the tasks that you are faced with in fulfilling your call. Paul calls Timothy to confront the false teachers in this church. And you say, oh, okay. So every once in a while, somebody says something stupid. Well, it's more than that. Because these false teachers were more than likely the elders of the church, the very leaders of the church. In Acts 20, verse 25, when Paul was in Ephesus himself, as he was leaving the elders, as he was leaving the church to go on to his next missionary stop, he met with the Ephesian elders and he said in verse 25, he warned them that wolves would come into the flock even from their own number, wolves in sheep's clothing. And here, five years later, this seems to have happened. And this means that Timothy probably needed to remove some elders, which, believe me, is not a fun task. In fact, it's almost impossible at times. But what could be so bad that he would have to take such drastic action? And this is where I want you to listen up. Because faithfulness to God's word is so critical, no matter who we are. But especially if you are in a position of leadership. Paul says that they were teaching falsely. And worse than that, it wasn't that they were making mistakes. But it was that they were supplementing scripture. It was that they were, they were saying things like, in order to, to be saved, you, you need to make sure that you're in complete alignment with the law. And Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to give us grace. It's by faith 
that were saved. And these elders were, were bringing a lot of other things into that. It says they were bringing myths into the equation. It says that they were misusing the genealogies, the genealogies that, that are there to prove to us, to show us how God has worked through the generations in people's lives, just like yours and mine, to fulfill the purpose that he has. And they were using that probably to build each other up or to say, this person's more important, you need to listen to him. Whatever it was, it was serious enough that Paul commanded Timothy to go and to address it. Now, why is this important to us today? Because, my friends, it's going on all around us today. As I said last week, every major denomination, every one of them, are in battle right now. Unfortunately, many of them are fighting on the wrong side. They're fighting to bring homosexuality into the church as something that God approves of. And my friends, he does not approve of homosexuality any more than he approves of your sin and my sin outside of marriage. But yet, they're making up myths. They're assuming power and authority that is not theirs. They're teaching these things. They've redefined baptism in many places. Oh, just raise your hand. Just pray this prayer. Oh, you can't get in the water? We'll just pour a little bit of water over you. Oh, bring your infant in. Let us sprinkle him. But yet there's no profession of faith. There's no belief in the life of an infant. How in the world does that represent Christian baptism? Where is the example in Scripture? There is none. These people are pursuing modern-day prophecies, myths. A few years ago, the best-selling book, The Bible Code, claimed that an Israeli mathematician had decoded the Bible with a mathematical formula unlocking 3,000-year-old prophecies of events like the Kennedy assassination, the election of Bill Clinton, everything from the Holocaust to Hiroshima to the moon landing to the collision of a comet with Jupiter. <laughs> but you know what? The biggest false teachings, the one that I'm most concerned about, are the false teachings that we're called to confront that we've accepted into our own lives and into our own faith. Even if they weren't intentionally placed there, they still exist and they are challenging. They get us off course. They get us frustrated. Sometimes we walk away from the church altogether in pride because we're unwilling to seek the truth for ourselves from God's Word. Oh, we want to argue over things like sprinkling versus immersion, where there is no argument. The command to tithe. Oh, that was in the Old Testament. It's not in the New. Yes, it is. Not marrying outside of the faith. Boy, we've kind of thrown that one out. Salvation by works instead of salvation by, by faith. I'll never be good enough. The call, the command on our lives is to confront what is false and to know and to align with what is 
true. And that's why Paul reminds Timothy, and he reminds us right in the middle of all of this in verses 3 through 7. Look at verse 5. He says in verse 5, the goal of this command that I'm giving you to correct this erroneous teaching, to get this church back on track, the goal of this command is love. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In verse 2, when Paul called Timothy his true son in the faith, it said it all for me. Just as God's motive behind his every command to us is love. It is. Every command that God has issued to you and to me throughout the Bible, his motive is love. His love for you. His love for me. In the same way, Paul's command to Timothy is born out of love. Love for the truth. Love for the church. Love for the unsaved. And love for Timothy. He knew that for Timothy to stay, if Timothy would be faithful, if he would lean into God, if he would fulfill the call and correct these leaders who had gone off course, which would be difficult, that difficulty would allow Timothy to grow exponentially in his faith, to experience God's faithfulness and love. And it's the thought I want to leave you with this weekend. And that is God's love is best experienced by the faithful who stay. You want to experience God's love? Then you be faithful. You stay the course. You see, here's the thing about God's love. God's love requires three things at a minimum from us. Yes, his love requires things. God's love requires that we deal with our sin. It requires that we deal with our sin all the way down to the very beginning of our sin, which begins in our thoughts, in our heart of hearts. God's love requires that we allow him to purify our heart. Yes, you can come to him as you are. Everybody loves to say that. Come to him as you are. And I agree completely. I came to him just as I was. But expect to be changed. Expect to be transformed. Yes, you can come as you are. But you must also expect to be changed by his grace. By his mercy. By living in the commands and your faithfulness to those commands. And that means that we stay, we remain faithful no matter how challenging the call. Remember Brandon mentioned last week as we were about to take communion. How the, the impurities in our life are taken away when we're in the fire. And sometimes <laughs> the faithful are like in the flame all the time. And there's times when you want to yank yourself out. You're hollering for water. Put this fire out. And God's saying, just stay. I'm right there with you. <laughs> just like as he was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. God's love. God's love requires that we deal with our sin. God's love requires a clear conscience. It requires that we live not only in his forgiveness and grace, but the forgiveness of those we've wronged. The forgiveness of those that we've wronged. 
Even if the other person started the whole mess, it's our responsibility to set things straight. And that means we don't leave. We don't leave, we stay. We don't leave hurts to fester. We don't leave disappointments to embitter. We don't let half-truths become whole-truths. But we faithfully extend forgiveness and grace because God loved us and did the same for us. And finally, his love demands a sincere faith. God's love requires that we accept the truth, accept the truth in our life, even if it's different than the way we were raised, <laughs> even if the truth contradicts the traditions by which we've been raised and that we follow today. It requires that we accept the truth in our life and that we want nothing else but truth in the lives of those around us. Many today don't want to confront untruths. I, I believe this is a problem with politics at the very source. Many do not want to confront untruths because to confront untruths means that they will have their own sin exposed. Well, that's why every year they promise that they're going to be able to accomplish this or that, but they don't do a thing. Because if they were to bear down on the other, well, the things in their life would come to the surface. But God's love for us brings it all out into the light. <laughs> Everything that we've ever said or done, it eventually will come to the surface for us to allow him to deal with it so that we can be free. Paul knows that God's love is powerful when we stay. And so he says to Timothy in verse 5, you stay there, Timothy, in Ephesus. You stay there and you command what is pure and right regardless of the difficulty because that's what love is. Love stays. And love is faithful under orders. <laughs> so what is it that God has called you to? on your outline, if you took time to write it down, or, or if just in your mind, if in your heart, you have thought over the last 20 minutes about what God's call is on your life. When you think about that call, what is it? What is it that you've been set apart for that has you on the fence? That you find yourself backing away instead of leaning in? when difficulty comes, or, or maybe just the call itself is difficult for you. What is it? What is it that has you wondering if you have the courage to stay and do the thing that God has asked of you? What has you wondering if you have what it takes to be faithful, to be faithful under orders? Well, Paul reminds us that Jesus Christ is the one who's called us. And that Jesus Christ alone will give us what we need in order to faithfully fulfill our call. And so the question is as simple as this. Do you have a relationship with him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you do, you have everything that you need. You don't have to back off. You can stay. You can lean in. 
his grace and his mercy and his peace, they are yours for the having. And so be faithful. Fulfill the call that he's given you. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you don't have everything that you need. And some of you are struggling with this, this calling in your life to be a dad. <laughs> you're struggling at work. You're struggling in your relationship with other people. Your, your health is failing, and, and you're out there alone, wondering if you can stay the course, if you can be faithful. Well, you don't have a chance until you have Jesus Christ, until you let him come into your life Surrender to Him in baptism. Receive His Holy Spirit. Align your life with His commands that are there because He loves you and He wants the best for you. You can't forgive. He can. And He can give you the strength to walk through it. How many times must we forgive? Peter asked Jesus once. Seven times? No. As many times as it takes you just keep coming back to the source of your forgiveness that's my hope for you today is that you know him if you don't come and let's take that next step together let's stand and let's sing